Welcome into another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Preem, still on vacation, still golfing in Arizona, living the dream. But that leaves myself, Jared Mack, as your normal hosts for this show, along with a guest. And uh, we wanted to bring in the heavy hitters. Well, Matt was off. Uh, and we bring in Greg Biggins, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, uh, friend of the podcast. I saw listed on here. I didn't know this. You maybe, I actually want to ask you kind of about this to start. Uh, you're part of the selection committee for the Polynesian Bowl, which is, I think, a pretty cool deal. I know you've your roots back in Hawaii. That must feel like you're you're kind of killing a couple birds there. Mm-hmm. Tell us, I guess, just just to start, what, what's that process like of picking all those talent? I know you and Huffman were over there knocking Corona, sending us a picture not that long ago from your yeah. trip. That must have been a fun little break. It's a good time. No, Blair obviously heavy involved too. Blair actually sure. covers Hawaii for us. Um, so no, it's cool. I mean, they they do a great job. Obviously, have you know the Polynesian Bowl. So fifty percent of the players have to be of Polynesian descent, and then the other half, you're just trying to find you know the best players. And the cool thing is, you know, the game gets better and better every year because I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but you know, Polynesian talent is very good. So you're not just like sacrificing talent to bring in you know some of the polys. Those guys can go. So uh, no, it's it's a fun time. And in the last couple of years, I mean, there's been some. You know, saw Travis Hunter last year. This year was you know Zach Branch and Nico Iamaliava and you know, there's there's several players that we'll see playing on Sundays. So, and obviously, like you mentioned, man, Hawaii is a great place to go and love the culture, the people. It's laid back, uh, kind of like myself. So, uh, it's it's something I look forward to every year for sure. I know we look forward to it as uh, as people covering Oregon because the Ducks have been well represented in this game now for basically shoot since the start of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have this in my show notes, but maybe of the Oregon signees, just kind of who are some guys that you thought really maybe turned some heads that guy was the Polynesian Bowl is kind of the, the final event each year for for you guys to check out in that cycle kind of who stood out yeah no so I mean maybe I don't have the list in front of me but you know Rod Pleasant Mateo under the lay might have been at least two of the top guys right in that class and they were yeah. both good you know it was cool to see Mateo because he wasn't able to do the All-American Bowl in San Antonio uh he kind of had a little stomach issue and then Rod Pleasant for me was the top corner out there I thought he was really good and um, both those two players are two of my favorites on and off the field. And, I, you know, shoot, man, I don't know if you want to talk about those guys, but it's a segue. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the Oregon-USC battles. Those are two guys in USC's hometown, and it came down to Oregon and USC. And Oregon was able to, you know, go head-to-head and, and win both those two battles. So those are two players that jumped to mind. I'm sure there's a lot, uh, a lot uh, you know, a few more Oregon players that were in it. But, you know, my mind is so weird. I'm already moving to 24 and 25, the class of, so – um, those two guys, though, I thought both had really strong weeks. We've actually got – I know I have some questions about 24-25 on the back end. We'll get to – we'll focus on 23 uh, to start. Um, what, what, what impressed you most about this class for Oregon and the way it's, I guess, put together? It's a big class, 29 players. Again, top 10 class. Once again, top 12 – or sorry, I should say top of the pack 12 in terms of the, the class, which is, I think, a really impressive five-year stretch they've now had of being kind of the big dogs on the West Coast with yeah. – you know, which is not something that had been the case forever. I mean, honestly, yeah. first time. So kind of what stands out about this class? Like what, what, what impresses you most about what Lanning and company were able to get done this cycle? Well, I, I would say they, they were able to kind of fill every, every single spot. And I always say this, when you're looking at a recruiting class, and obviously it's all automated, right? So it's, you know, you have each player has a grade, and then, you know, you sign 25 players, you, you take that grade. Then just, but for me, using my eyes, I always like to go back and look at, you know, do they really fill needs, right? Um, you know, if you have a need at offensive line and you sign 12 receivers, and maybe one center who's a developmental guy, did you really fill all your needs? Your class might be rated high, um, but but how good of a class really was it? You know, same thing. If your biggest need was a cover corner and you signed 60 tackles, 
and, and no corners or safeties. And that was a big need for you, right? So for me, Oregon did a nice job. You look at the quarterback, running back, the DB class is really strong. Some late flips um, that were, you know, obviously Peyton Bowen, you know, that would have been really put the class over the top and shoot would have Dante Moore's. Those points are still added in there. But just being able to rally and, and get a get a Novasad and, and just feel, you know, flip a Dalen Austin late, get a Rod Pleasant late, get a Mateo on signing day offensive line and you throw the portal what they're able to do from a portal standpoint i mean right now yeah. oregon is able to sell um everything right and so you're looking at portal guys and you know you have your alabama ohio state to the world which for me you know that's kind of like your upper upper oregon's able to go into the portal and, and go head to head with some of those schools and land these elite elite players so it's it's filling every needs it's, it's called balance right it's it's top end talent need and balance those are the three things that i'm looking at and so i think they did a great job Coach Lanning kind of, you know, when Mario came in, man, he was so maniacal and how he recruited. It was I hadn't seen it before in terms of how a head coach was so uh, aggressive and it wasn't just, you know, a position coach. It, you're always they always had two or three or if not four, including him on each particular player. And mm -hmm. what that did was it allowed the coach, you know, the kid to constantly feel like he's being loved up. Sounds kind of corny, but we live in a day and age, right, where these kids want to they are attention seekers. Right. And so it allowed him to, to, to feel that way. And also, maybe if that position coach goes elsewhere, um, you don't take the hit because you already had two other coaches plus your head coach on the player. So you're able to kind of maintain those relationships. That's what Mario did. And Lanning kind of came in, and, and they didn't drop it. They, they didn't lose a step. Um, you know, it was the same deal. Lanning heavily involved as a head coach, always had a reputation for being a really good recruiter as a D.C. at Georgia. Uh, obviously, we know about Georgia, and I should have misspoke. Georgia's up there with Bama and Ohio State too, right? Um, but just the whole staff. You know, obviously, Adrian Clumbin no, no longer there, but did a great job on the offensive line. You know, Coach Martin, um, Tosh, uh, the whole group as a whole, I thought recruited really, really well. They're aggressive, man. They, they seem to kind of like that chase. They kind of, you know, had that competitive drive to want to not lose a head to head battle. And so I think Oregon, man, it, it's just they're, they're not going anywhere. You know, it's funny. Someone asked me the question. Hey, now that USC and UCLA are leaving, who's going to be the new, you know, flagship for the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever we're calling it? And I was like, I think most Oregon fans would say they've been the flagship, right, for the last five, six years. So I don't, I don't think it's a new team. I think Oregon, look, look out for Washington. I love Utah. Uh, but Oregon, man, I think over the last 10 years, uh, they've really done a nice job of, of kind of being, you know, probably the top 10, top team in the Pac-12. Greg, just want to say thanks again for coming on the pod. You kind of touched on it there towards the end, but – Wanted to ask how important it was for Oregon to, to get this top 10 class to recruit Southern California so well, uh, especially with the exodus of USC and UCLA going forward and a Dan Lanning second year, second year with Lincoln Riley. Just how important was to set that footprint in for Oregon in this past rec recruiting cycle? I mean, it's huge because for the most part, Oregon is a national brand, but they're going to want to recruit in Southern California heavily. And Lincoln Riley is going to do a great job. I mean, he's another guy, head coach, heavily involved in recruiting, hands on. Lincoln Riley was like that at Oklahoma. So uh, Southern California is, is not going to be easy when you have USC. When USC is winning, a lot of those kids were kind of born and raised. You know, it's their aunt, their uncle, their mom and dad. It, it's, it's a USC type of deal, right? You, I always say kind of this, you handicap it. When these kids are freshmen, eighth graders, their top school is USC. So USC kind of starts out in pole position. So for Oregon, uh, I think what, ironically, um, the Chip Kelly days at Oregon, DeAnthony Thomas, Marcus Marriott, a lot of these kids are now growing up with Oregon as the team they kind of liked and rooted for. And I think it's ironic because I think Oregon benefits more from Chip than UCLA does from a recruiting <laughs> standpoint, even though Chip is now the head coach at UCLA. It's not a shot at Chip at all. Um, it's just Oregon is, is a strong brand. 
So they're able to come into Southern California. I don't think it's going to matter that USC and UCLA are no longer there. Um, you know, some people will say, oh, that's going to hurt Oregon because, you know, these kids, these local kids aren't going to be able to come back home and, and play a local game. Honestly, I, I don't think that's going to matter. I really don't. Um, the, the way it is now, I mean, parents, they can fly in and out and all over the place as much as they want. Yeah, it's harder. I'm not going to be um, naive to that. Um, but I think the long-winded way of saying I think it was important for Dan Lanyon in, in his first year to come into Southern California and, and not just win some battles, but we're talking – head-to-head -head battles with some dudes, with some top 50 recruits, with some guys that I think can be elite at the highest level, not just college, but the next level. So I think it was important, and they did a great job with it. You kind of mentioned it there, Greg. I'm, I'm actually curious to see how Oregon sets up its scheduling because I know they're going to want to have a game played regularly in Southern California. I don't know if that's going to be yeah. San Diego State joining the conference and makes it easy or if they'll, they'll try to make a commitment to doing some sort of uh, neutral site game at SoFi or something, but I, I get a sense that that just be, just from talking, if you're not trying to report anything, if that's something they're going to try to work to accomplish at 25 and and beyond, or 24, I should say, and beyond once once those schools are gone. Um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier uh, about kind of some of the individual head-to-head -head battles with USC. I have written down in my show notes what individual recruitment maybe impressed you the most of just Oregon battling and and, and winning a recruitment. Is it as simple as, as to say those two most recent ones with, with Pleasant and with Mateo back in December kind of stand out to you? Or, or is there another one that pops to, to your mind when you think about this cycle? I know it's 29 players and it's a lot to think about. I'm giving you a lot of dudes. But uh, is, is, is there one in particular that you kind of go, that really kind of stood out? Yeah, no, I'm trying to think because I don't want to just give the obvious. Yeah. Um, you know, Mateo is the most obvious, though, for me. We've already kind of talked about it. Um, you know, I, I love Jurion Dickey. He might be, I mean, you guys might have the, I don't have the list in front of me. Is Jurion the highest rated recruit in Oregon's class? He is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it, his, his recruitment never really came down to, to Oregon and, and USC. Obviously Miami got involved late. So um, although I love Jurion, I can't really throw him out there because it wasn't really a head to head, you know, with, with Mateo throughout most of the process. And I know him really well. He was adamant that he didn't have a leader, even though everyone kind of mm -hmm. said around him, uh, Ohio State is probably the team to beat. And I think that's because he was big on development and Larry Johnson, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. And again, no shots, probably the best D-line coach in the country. Look at his track record and, and look at his coaching style and the way he gets after it. About a week before signing day, the December signing day, uh, the buzz was for USC. Uh, even talked to somebody, some people really close to his recruitment, um, really close to his recruitment. The buzz was USC. And then about 48 hours before is when I first started to hear about Oregon. And, and so... All this to say, when I talked to Mateo at the Polynesian Bowl, I said, hey, you know, was this kind of how it ebbed and flowed? Was it Ohio State and USC and Oregon? You know, that's kind of the, you know, the narrative. And he said, not really. He goes, honestly, I, he heard all the noise, but he goes, I never really had a leader. Uh, the, the whole time, all three of those schools were all just jumbled in. And that's why he was going to take a late trip to Georgia because he didn't have one school that separated themselves from that initial three. And, and what it came down to was relationships. And he just felt the most comfortable with that Oregon staff, he felt Dan Lanning, defensive-minded head coach, great relationship with Tosh Lupo, to Tosh Lupoy, and he just felt like that was where he was going to be most comfortable. He liked the defense. Uh, he liked the system. He saw what they did with Kayvon Thibodeau, and he felt like, hey, I can go, even though different head coach, kind of similar system, I, I can go in there and, and be very productive. And so that's how they were able to win out. And so it was kind of, again, a relentless approach. 
Um, even though there wasn't really a come from behind type of vibe, I got that vibe. He said there really wasn't that, but I still think to go into St. John Bosco, right? They've had a lot of players from their school go over to USC and he was a major priority for USC. Don't let anyone tell you differently. And he comes from a USC family as well. Uh, even though DJ was, went to Clemson, that family, you know, when DJ and Mateo were young, man, they were all about USC, the mom, dad, uncles, aunts, grandparents. It was all about USC. So able to go and kind of, combat all that and went out on signing day, I thought was a huge pickup for sure. Thinking about debating on a show note change here. I'm going to ask, ask a different question for my third one after what you just went through. Um, just want to talk about Roderick Pleasant. I want to, you know, what that's another recruiting battle that Oregon was just against USC and they came out on top. What puts, what put them over the edge? What made the decision for Roderick to, well, a, he's, you know, signs on the, on the national signing day. Um, later than the early signing day, what did Oregon do to, to put themselves over the hump? So I think Oregon recruited him harder and longer than any other school. And with USC, there were times over the last year, year and a half, where I, I would talk to Rod and I'd say, hey, you know, who's recruiting you the hardest? And he would name, you know, some weird, weird schools. He kept naming, you know, Boston College. That's why you saw Boston College on his list. He goes, for me, uh, there you go. And uh, awesome guy. He, he said it's going to be about relationship. And he kept saying it. He goes, GB, he goes, I've been through this. You know, it was all the brother Dominic Davis, who was track guy, went to SC. He goes, I, I, I've been through this. It's not going to be about flash and hype and just going the easy way and staying local. He goes, you know, it's going to be about personal relationships for me. That's what this whole thing's about. That's why I love Cal. Um, that's why he, honestly, he liked UCLA a lot too, because their DB coach, he kind of had a good connection with. But Oregon was, I would say, by far had been recruiting him the most consistently. When I asked who was recruiting him the hardest, Oregon was always one of the first two or three names out of his mouth and love the trip. I think the track thing is way overplayed. Yes. He's a big track guy. I, I think maybe even a better long-term track guy than football. I, mean, I think he can be an Olympian. He ran a 10, one, four and Crazy. he goes nine, nine mm -hmm. this year, which is, which is very possible. He, he said he'd be disappointed. I mean, you're talking about one of the, you know, one of the best times in California history and California's had some top sprinters. So um, track is a big thing, but it was a football decision first. Like if you asked him the first, you know, why he made the decision, the first three or four reasons were all football, 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 football. It was his relationship with the coaches. Again, Lanning, Tosh has known coach, coach me, Demetrius Martin, since he was in middle school. He actually ran track against Cole uh, meets kid uh, and it, Rashad Wadud, you know, kind of a, a name that maybe not a lot of people know about, but he's out here in Southern California, coached at Long Beach Poly. Um, we all know Rashad really well. Great guy, um, connects really well with the coaches, highly respected, and he was heavily involved in that recruitment as well. I don't think that can be understated. So it was uh, a lot of different things. It was feeling he can, he can go in there and play. It was, again, defensive-minded head coach, feeling connected with the DB coaches, um, and just feeling comfortable with the campus. And, and everything about it. And then I, I would say the track stuff was more of an added bonus. And that's it, obviously that's a huge bonus. I mean, he would say, mm -hmm. you know, best facility in the country was at Oregon. So you kind of add that in there. I, I think it kind of made it not a slam dunk because I talked to him the night before and he still didn't know. And I talked to coaches from both staffs and they didn't even know. They said he went dark on them. He stopped talking to coaches. Mm -hmm. And then that morning about an hour before his announcement is when he kind of, I think locked it in. Now, do I think he was already locked in? Yeah. You know, there had been some buzz the previous 48 hours. Maybe, you know, Sunday was Wednesday. We started hearing Sunday, Monday. It was Oregon. Um, but I think at that last hour, he kind of started to get a little bit of, you know, cold feet. And 
I've seen it so many times with so many, ironically, a lot of times it's, it's Oregon and USC where a player thinks he's going to be able to leave home, go to Oregon. And then he wakes up on Sunday morning and you know what? It's, I can't leave home. Uh, you know, like Juju Smith, um, you know, is one Herschel. I'm naming some old school players, you know, Herschel Dennis. These were guys who were going to Oregon until they woke up Sunday morning. Like, ah, you know, I'm going to stay close to home. Rod was able to kind of uh, go to where he felt most comfortable. And for him, that was Oregon. You know, it's, I think it's really notable that Oregon landed the two top cornerback recruits, both in Southern California, but on the West coast in, in Pleasant and in Austin, this cycle it reminds me a little bit back of 2017 when Oregon added Thomas Graham and Yamde Lenore also mm. from that kind of area, similar kind of prospects in terms of rankings. I don't want to ask you to compare and contrast them to them necessarily, but does it feel like, and those guys went on to be multiple year starters for Oregon together. Does it feel like there is potential that these two guys could be the lockdown guys of the future at Oregon? And, and kind of how could you think in, in theory, obviously where a lot of things have to happen for that to take place, but in theory, what would be really, I guess, in, in, uh, difficult about facing an Austin pleasant pairing as an offense? Yeah, no, good question. You know, shoot, Diamondar is starting, right, for a team that almost went to the Super Bowl. So um, happy, super happy for him. You know, Diamondar was one of those guys that was just so tough. Um, and, I, and I see that kind of with Dale and Austin. You know, he, he, he brings, you know, he's from Long Beach Poly, um, which you come out of Poly, man, you're, you're going to couple you're going to be tough you're going to be a physical player you're going to have a little bit of an edge in your game right they're going to be a guy who you know if there's ever a street fight you want that guy next to you and i think dalen brings that but he's got some length to him six feet pushing six one uh he's got significantly faster and more explosive over the last couple of years legitimate 10 900 meter guy so he's got some length i think he's a true outside corner and um you know the other guy i think you know rashad wadud had a big big hand in, in dalen Obviously, Coach Meat did a great job there. And then I think Rod is your, your prototype nickel slot corner. You know, I, I think you can move him around. I think with Rod, I think people underestimate is he's a tough kid too, man. He plays with a little bit of an edge, right? And he's got a chip on his shoulder because he's been told since he was a freshman that, hey, you know, you're a little too small. You're a track guy. You're not tough enough. Um, you know, on his freshman team, when he was a freshman, he didn't even play varsity. So, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's a late bloomer because everyone kind of knew about him, but they thought he was more of a track guy. And so when he plays, he's got a chip that I would say is kind of similar to Diamador. And obviously that, that speed is, is insane. Um, you know, he's not a track guy playing football. He's a legitimate football player first. I think he can go in there and, and I don't want to compare him to Clark Phillips uh, at Utah, mm-hmm. who I think it's going to be, you know, maybe late first, second, third. I mean, I, I love Clark. Mm-hmm. Um Different type of players, even though they're kind of similar in size, just the athleticism and the cover, all that a little bit different. But I think he can have, you know, that kind of an impact because I think he's I think he's that good. I think he's going to be able to play some of these smaller, shiftier, you know, slot receivers and he'll be able to run with anybody. Um, He'll be able to come up and and play the run support because he's physical and tough that way. Uh, You know, he's a guy who, who has ball skills. He has the two-way snaps that we look for. He played a lot of receiver this year. He's a guy who I think could be an impact guy returning punts and kicks. So when you look at all of what makes Rod pretty good, and again, our rankings are about the NFL draft and the projection, you want to have a guy that in high school is a three-way guy. And even in college, I think he'll be a two-way player. I think he's going to be a cover corner also on special teams, returning punts and kicks. Yeah, I think both those two guys have NFL upside for sure. Great stuff, Greg. We really appreciate it. We're going to head to a quick break, come back. And I think on the other side, we've got maybe a couple more on 23, but then we're going to get into 2024, 2025, kind of where things might be headed for Oregon.
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Greg Biggins still kind enough to be here sharing some time with us on a, on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. I don't know what it's like down. Probably more, I bet it's better probably down where you're at, nice. honestly. You can see what I'm seeing right now, man. It's like 75, Southern uh, California, nothing but blue sky. All right, all right, all right, all right. You can you stop. Yeah, we can stop it. Come on it's, now. It's, hey, it's I, it's I don't 50 love a lot about living out here in California right now, but I do say, hey, we got weather. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to brag about that a little bit. You just you deserve to brag about that. Um, so er, earlier this week, Eric and I on a podcast we did uh, superlatives for this twenty three class, and we went through sleepers of the team. I went with uh, Solomon Davis. Eric, who did you go with again? I picked Tatum Tuioti. The uh, Tatum we, Tuioti and, and, is, by the way, Greg, we 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 took out the blue chip guys, so it was like nine players that were three star recruits that yeah. were that were left. So I want to ask you, Greg, is there a sleeper on this twenty three signing class that that you see as a guy who can? maybe make an early impact or there's someone who could become a starter down the road. Yeah, no, I, I like your Solomon Davis. Again, I don't have the list in front of me and my brain is mush and I have brain fog anyway, and I'm 50. <laughs> so that's you, you, you gave me a nice little set and I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, hit that Solomon Davis for me is really good. You know, he's a guy who again, what so much about what we do is we need to have, you know, actual height, weight, speed, measurables and verifieds. And we could not get anything on Solomon, which is unfortunate. Just his tape, he had four-star tape for sure. He's a talented football player, and I really like him a lot. I love his makeup. Another guy who I think kind of has a chip because always been a little bit on the underrated side. But, uh, man, if if we only had him at a camp to verify some of the things that, that I see on tape, I think he's good. I think he's a versatile corner who can play outside or inside. Another guy with really good two-way snaps. Another guy I think can be a special teamer. Plays hard, smart, football IQ off the charts, and – you know, another guy, nice late flip for Oregon to get him from Arizona. And Notre Dame kind of came in there late, and a few other schools did as well. Mm-hmm. Shoot, Stanford. I mean, that, I've always said head-to-head, Stanford probably has the best record when it's them and one other school, right? Because mom and dad, almost every mom and dad wants their kid going to Stanford. Um, I know I would if my kids, you know, had a little higher, you know, three or four points higher on their GPA. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Solomon Davis, long-winded way of saying, Jared, nice job with that pick. I, I'm co-signing with you on that one. Can I ask Greg a really quick follow-up on that? Where where do you see him as a player? Because he's listed as an athlete, and again, Oregon was kind of late on it. We were talking about, it seems like defense is where where schools mostly like him, but Mm -hmm. do you see him as a, you mentioned that Pleasant could be a nickel safety. We kind of floated that idea. Does that fit for you with Solomon, or do you see him as a lockdown corner, a safety? Where do you you see his fit? I think DB, I think corner, 100%, but I I think Mm -hmm. within corner, Right. You, you have your, you know, your outside guys, which is, your, you know, maybe your bigger corners that can body against some of these bigger six, one, six, two receivers. Then you also have 
you know, I don't want to get too technical, but just to keep it easy, you, you know, outside, and then you have your, your, your slots or nickels. Right. And so, and then last goals now they use, use a Rover almost full time, which is kind of a hybrid safety corner. And so, yeah, I, I think Solomon, I, I think he's a cover corner. You put him outside, but if you want to move him inside, uh, if you want to have him play a little bit of a safety role, I think he tackles well enough. Yeah, I, I think he can play just about anywhere in the secondary, but cover corner is why, where I see him lining up first. And that, that's where he was being recruited as. Moving on to 2024, which is cra- it's By the way, it's just crazy to me. We're, we're at in the year 2023, and we're looking at kids that are 2024 because I graduated <laughs> from high school. It's almost 20 years ago now, which is blowing blowing my mind. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm, but th- besides that part of me realizing that I'm, that I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> old stop. You just, yeah. You're just aging me, but go on, Eric. <laughs> I look at Oregon's start to 2024, and it's really impressive. They have five yes. commitments, four from uh, four-star prospects, number eight class in the nation. I know it's super early in, in rankings this time of year for, for future classes. don't really mean much of anything, but I, I wanted to ask you about – really, you know, it's interesting looking at this. The only player from the state of California that they've, they've earned a commitment from is, is the highest-rated player in the class right now, and that's four-star receiver, a top 100 player in Jordan Anderson out of Newport Beach. Uh, Greg, what can you tell us about Jordan and, and, and why is he a top 100 wide receiver for you guys? Yeah, no. Well, first off, um, it's kind of funny here in Jordan. I know, I know they'd probably get a kick out of it. He's not really from Newport Beach. He, he just okay. transferred to Newport Harbor, which is in Newport Beach. But no, man, he, he's a he's another kid, man. He's a dog. He's an L.A. City kid. So he's got that grit. He played at Long Beach Milliken the last couple of years with Ryan Pelham, who I think also has Oregon in his top two or three right now. And, and th- those two do get along. Um, you know, there were some times when I wondered, hey, can those two coexist even in college? And so I think they probably be, probably could. But uh, no, Jordan is um, he's made huge leaps over the last two years. You know, going into his junior year, I, I thought he was probably a better DB prospect. I didn't think he had, you know, was real natural with his hands. I thought he had pretty good straight line speed. Um, you know, didn't see him as, you know, as a great route runner. I and mean, the guy just worked. And, you know, he played uh, with Nico Iamaliaba, Team Toho, that seven on seven in this past offseason. And he, he kind of blew up. That's when all the offers kind of flew, you know, flew in for him. And good size, tough kid, high compete level, improved as a route runner, has ex- made big strides as an athlete. And the short area burst off the line is better. The top end speed is better. He's a willing blocker, a really tough willing blocker. Uh, so he kind of does everything. He's able to you know, catch a little, little hitch and make three or four guys miss and go. He can go deep, possession-type guy as well. So kind of a good all-around receiver, very productive. Like I mentioned, played at Milliken the last couple of years. Now he's going uh, to Newport Harbor High School, which was kind of an interesting uh, fit for me, but that's what they're doing. And um, I, I think yeah, he's a great pickup for Oregon. It's a, it's a really good year for wide receivers in California. I think this is kind of the year of the receiver. And there's a few other ones. I already mentioned Ryan Pelham and you know, Xavier Jordan, another kid from L.A. Cathedral who recently visited and got an offer from Oregon. I think he loves Oregon. So, yeah, there's there's a handful of receivers in Southern California that I think Oregon has a chance uh, to uh, to recruit. And they're doing well with uh, a handful of them already. Oh, yeah. Going off of off of that, Greg, just California, the class of 2024. Now that we're looking at it, just kind of broad strokes, just some general names that are you know, going to be national recruits. And then some guys that, that you've you've heard from or, or know that Oregon is going hard after. Yeah, so quarterback-wise, um, you know, a couple of the guys are already off the board. You know, Elijah Brown is a player who I know is high on Oregon. He's visited. He likes them. They've offered him. Um, you know, Julian Sainz, I'm getting it out, yeah, outside the box. Julian Sainz already committed to Alabama. 
mm-hmm. you know, running back wise, again, uh, don't have a guy that pops for me, but you know, it keeps coming back to, to wide receivers for me and, and also offensive linemen, I think it's actually going to be a, a good one. And it's probably, you know, Brendan Baker, We'll see. You know, I think Brandon was a was a pretty solid Oregon lean. But a lot of that was because you know Adrian Clem, right? Now Brandon yeah. also older brother uh, played at Oregon, so he kind of had that familiar tie. Um, but he mm-hmm. was super close with Clem. That was the close coach he was closest with. So you know, Brandon Baker, one of the top one or two or three uh, tackles. He's a true tackle. He's long as heck, eighty-two probably inch wingspan, and you know, really athletic kid. Comes out of modern day. You know, one of the top two or three high school programs in the country. So. Um, I like Brandon a lot. DeAndre Carter plays alongside of him over at Modern Day. Also, you know, with an Oregon offer, Aiden Breland uh, right now might be the top D lineman. Ironically, also from Modern Day. Uh, Zabin Brown, also from Modern Day, probably, you know, <laughs> might be Oregon's Good top team. target right now. Uh, at least he's our top corner target from, from California. And uh, I know Zabin's very high in them, but his stock is kind of flying right now. I already mentioned some of the receivers. Um, you know, linebacker-wise, I know they're going to go – you know, hard after, uh, you know, a, a lot of guys, you know, Kamar Mathudi, who uh, me and Huff just saw at the National Preps Camp, you know, Oregon's offered him. Uh, he just visited Washington. And when we're talking, and I mentioned Oregon, and sometimes you can tell a kid likes a guy just by the way they react. And you can't tell this just by texting, but, you know, we're talking to him face to face. And I mentioned Oregon, man, his whole, his whole countenance just changed. And I was like, dude, man, you're getting kind of excited right now. So he's like, yeah, I really like Oregon a lot. So, um, Kamar Mathudi is a name that every Duck fan should know. I love the way this kid plays, 6'2 215, uh, Him and Dylan Williams, uh, Long Beach Poly kid, also really high in Oregon. I think Oregon's probably in the top two or three for Dylan. These are just uh, spitballing. I don't have the yeah. list. I mean, I'm probably missing a thousand names, but these are just some of the obvious ones for me right now. We're gonna we're gonna skip over Eric here for for a moment because you mentioned Adrian Clem, and that was my my my, my final question. So here it is, just. With Clem's departure, I know it's obviously very early, just happened yesterday. Um, just kind of how do you anticipate his departure uh, kind of hurting Oregon right now? Like what are the, the long-term the hurts that are going to come from his departure? I mean, I I, I, I like Adrian. I know, him, I know him personally, known him for a long time, and uh, I think he's both a very good recruiter and a very good coach, right? The two kind of go together, and that's not taking a shot at anybody, but I, I saw some silly stuff being talked about him. Um so I think it's it's a blow. I, I think it does hurt because I think he's he's as good at you know it comes to relationships and it comes to his evaluation skills. I don't like p- people think Adrian just goes out there and recruits a bunch of five stars. You go look at his track record, whether it be SMU or even at, he got guys at UCLA to the league who honestly I didn't think were all that great in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And then even at Oregon, I mean he recruit he brought in some guys that uh, you know weren't the necessarily the, the highest rated players. Um, you know, Mawala, Bolton, two guys right there who I don't think were fours, but I think have a chance to be really, really good. And he kind of had that keen eye. So uh, to answer the question, you know, I think Oregon's always going to be fine. As long as their head coach is a Mario or Lanning type who just puts such an emphasis on recruiting, that tells me that the O-line hire is probably going to be a guy who also is going to be a strong recruiter, also going to be a strong coach. But they got to they got to move fairly quickly because, I mean, uh, recruiting, man, it's so sped up right now. And a lot of these guys, yep. they want to start, you know, forming their top list. And, you know, again, lucky Oregon's a brand. It's a strong brand. So they're not going to lose a ton of ground. Um, these kids are going to have Oregon on their top five list, no, no matter who the offensive line coach is. But if they want to stay in that top five, they probably need to make a, a quick hire. Um, again, long-winded way of saying, I think they're going to miss Clem. But if they make, it, make a really good hire uh, who can come in and, and quickly connect. And, you know, I think I think they'll, they'll still be – 
more than fine moving forward. I'm going to wrap it up here. And I kind of wanted to do this intentionally because it's just speaking of aging, it's just wild to me that we're getting to the point where Achilles Smith Jr. <laughs> is a recruit that has an Oregon offer, is, is, is looking at the Ducks, and is only a couple of years away from enrolling at wherever he ends up going. Um, what do you what can you tell us about young Akili and, and kind of how good is he how close is he to a and I don't want to say is he an Oregon lock do you think just because of the guys with his dad and his dad's very patient, passionate even to this oh. day about Oregon football I think you might be aware very, of that very um, <laughs> give, give us give us the rundown on junior no man I think pops is ready for him to commit like right now yeah, right? no I'm kidding I think, you know, Achilles Sr. will be very strategic and, and smart in how they do this. But, I mean, obviously he was raised. And you, all you have to do is spend an hour, shoot, five minutes on Achilles Sr.'s Twitter. And you can see he's very passionate about oh, it. Yeah. Achilles Jr., uh, you know, he was raised in an Oregon home. Mom actually went to UCLA. But, I mean, from a football standpoint, man, he loves – the kid loves Oregon as well. So, you know, it just comes down to not just fit, but – Oregon is going to probably have four or five other 25 offers out there and they're going to be smart. They're not going to take a guy just because he's a legacy. They want to get, you know, they have their board, you know, one, two, three, four, and whether Achilles one or whether he's four or five. Um, so it's not just going to be up to Achilles, right? Even though he does have an offer, there's this thing um, that we now refer to as committable offers. And I'm not sure Oregon's ready to take a 25 quarterback just yet. I think yeah. they probably want to wait and see these guys play. I could be all wrong about that maybe they would take Achilles right now and if they were to take him now I wouldn't be shocked if they wanted to take a second quarterback right because that's kind of how you have to do it now what everything is so sped up that it, it I think it hurts you from an evaluation standpoint it hurts us when we do early early rankings but we have to do it and then I think it also hurts colleges when they have to put an offer out to a kid who's a freshman sophomore because you're banking on development but you're obviously not going to know you know what if this other guy who's maybe you're not even on your board what if he leapfrogs, you know, a guy you offered and now he's a junior senior. Now you like that guy better. The way you counteract that is just by simply saying, hey, we're going to take a second quarterback. And you do that for two reasons. Number one, because you really want that second quarterback. And two, it's because you don't have an issue if that first guy goes ahead and, and says, you know what? I'm seeing the right on the wall. I'm not your number one guy. I'm going to go ahead and look elsewhere. And the school can say, OK, appreciate you, but we're OK with that. Right. So um I think Achilles got a chance, though. Getting back to Achilles, I think he's got a chance to be really good. I mean, he's got a huge arm already. I mean, the ball explodes out of his hand. I saw him two weeks ago out of a little seven-on-seven -seven tournament, and you know, I've been watching him since middle school. You know, Achilles always kind of brought him around, and so he kind of first kind of had that, you know, giraffe out of the womb. You know, just all arms and legs. You know, just a little, you know, awkward. And, and so Achilles Senior has really done a great job with his development. Man, the release is tighter. His feet. Feet are good. He's throwing on balance. He's, you know, rhythm guy. Put up very productive numbers last year in, in a really good league in Southern California, Vista Marietta. So he's progressing really well, and he's got two more years to go. So his body's going to fill out. He's still pretty lean. Um, you know, for me, a big issue for quarterbacks is pocket mobility. I wouldn't recruit a statue, and I want a guy who can move around a little bit. And so, you know, want to see uh, Achilles Jr. I know I feel lame keep saying junior, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, want to see him continue to, to improve as an athlete, have that ability to escape pressure, extend the play, right? And so, but as a pocket guy, man, he can make every throw right now. Um, his mind is going to be good. They watch a ton of film. He's raised in a quarterback room by his pops, and that's they value that part of it. So I think he's got a chance. I really do. Uh, you know, he's young. Um, 
but he's gifted and he's got a high upside for sure. It's just a name I know Oregon fans are going to be clamoring about for a couple of cycles here. At least those that have been fans for a couple of decades. The new the new age fans are probably going to have to do research and watch highlights of Keely Steele. He could throw the ball like few guys I've ever seen before. I mean, top five all-time armor for me, you know, college football. I mean, the guy, the ball came out of his out of his hand differently. And I always, every time I see Achilles Sr., I'm like, dude, man, no one could throw the ball like you could, man. He just had that high Jeff Tedford, right, release. And then Jared, you're probably too young. But uh, let me just tell you. I'm sorry. Yeah. The thing came out like it was shot out of a can. I love the high release all those guys had, Joey Harrington. And then when the ball came out of Achilles' hand, man, it was it was different. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, Oregon fans would love if Achilles Jr. comes to Oregon and can have even a semblance of the career his pops had. I think most people look at 98 as one of the better quarterback seasons the school's produced. And yeah. so uh, great having you on the show, though, Greg. Appreciate your insights on 2023, on what's to move on ahead here. I'm sure we'll have you on later on this year when maybe we get to the summer circuit and you can kind of give us a feel for maybe some insights you have at that point. But thanks again so much for, for being generous with your time. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Greg. And, Appreciate it. Yep, you got and it. for uh, Greg and Jared, this has been Eric Scopel hosting this episode of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt will be back on Friday. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll be better hosted then. All right. Talk to you later, folks. <laughs> Peace. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. <laughs> Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.